You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. into july these are the dog days of summer right your yankees suck we'll get to that a little bit later uh, <laughs> do we have to, like do we have to start off with your yankees suck i know i know they blew it yeah but i know can, they blew it we can save the actual diving into the end of the pot so why don't okay, we do fine. that um i've got something i heard and we can talk about that but today is friday july 2nd this is the just baseball show i'm jack mcmullen he's peter apple really excited to have a conversation with the founder and ceo of big league advance michael schwimmer We've had the conversation. Our episode one was talking about it with no guest. Our huh. last Friday episode was talking about it with Soledad O'Brien, who put together the, the piece on Real Sports with Brian Gumble about Big League Advance. And now we get to talk to the man himself. That was a fantastic progression of how we wanted this to work, just like we drew it up, right? Just like we drew it up. And it was fun, too, because after we did the Big League Advance episode, we gave out the Tatis deal. And the crazy part about Big League Advance is obviously they get 10% of your future earnings. So all of those deals that we gave out, we might have to give 10% of all that money that we gave out back to Schwimmer. It's a it's a sliding scale. So it might not exactly be scale. it might not exactly be 10% each contract, yes. right? It could be anywhere from like five to fifteen. Um, of course, we're cutting the difference and we say 10 just for you know generalities. But yeah. Um, all right, you want something I've heard? I do. And we haven't done something I heard in kind of a long time. Remember, I was talking about oceans last time that we somehow have five oceans now. Yeah. So I'm glad that we're bringing it back. And I think we should start doing a weekly thing of something I heard because you and I are tapped in into the weird shit in life. Into the weird shit. And this morning, we're recording on Thursday, July 1st. By the way, Lapin Lapin, you're supposed to say rabbit in French twice on the first day of a month for good luck all month long. So I See, woke like, up. That could be something I heard because that was weird. <laughs> uh, how is anyone supposed to know that in the world? I, I don't know. I learned it in French class in like seventh grade. So I, I okay. woke up and I said, Lapin, Lapin. And you but, never know when you'll use that. Now you're using it on a podcast. I use it once a month. I use it the yeah. first day of every month. Uh, but there's something I heard is about uncontacted peoples. Have you ever heard of these? Uncontacted peoples? So there are like uncontacted tribes. There are people that have had no interaction with people outside of their tribes. They're about like, a hundred uncontacted tribes on the earth right now. About half are in the Amazon. And really? I was just watching a bunch of documentaries about <laughs> North Sentinel Island off of India in the Bay of Bengal and North Sentinel Island. Like they technically fall under Indian rule, but 
the law does not apply to them because they have really never had any interaction with the outside world. There's this idea that there's between 15 and 400 people living on this island that's about 13 square miles or 23 square miles, one of those, but it, relatively small island. And they have their own language. You know, it's assumed that they don't know how to read or write. They still live in, you know, huts. I mean, they live in a hunter-gatherer society. And whenever, like, boats come close to that island, like, you know, explorers, they passed along diseases because their immune systems, you know, much like when Columbus came to uh, the places that he sailed to, you know, you pass along all these bacterias and germs that the Europeans had that nobody was immune to. So these people, like, yeah, like, these people... um, are actually like the simplest form of human life. Like they're still the Neolithic type human being, the Sentinelese. And it's a fascinating concept. And apparently the rule doesn't apply to them. So there was a a kid a couple of years ago who graduated from Oral Roberts, by the way, Sweet 16, Oral Roberts, but- Oh yeah, good baseball team. Yeah, very Christian school. And he made his like life mission to go to North Sentinel Island and preach Christianity to these people. And as soon as he got there, they killed him with like poison arrows, like spears. Like they attack boats that come too close to shore. Like they fire, um, they fire arrows at like helicopters and shit that go above. It's it's crazy. It's are crazy. they under are they under any laws like for no. the killing that person? Do they get no nope. one comes and be like, hey, you just murdered one of our people? No, they're nope. good. No, there was, there was a boat in like the early 1920s that was carrying a couple of fishermen that apparently got intoxicated and fell asleep and they drifted too close to these shores. So they mounted the boat, they killed the two fishermen, and then they buried them on the island. And the same is assumed for this guy that went there uh, a couple of years ago. Like it's, it's crazy. Has anyone been back there since? So they're, they're told not to interact, like archaeologists yeah. and everything like Why that. Why would you? No, they're, they're told not to interact. Um, and how many people are on the island, you said, in about a 20 square mile? A, a, anywhere from like 15 to 400. Nobody knows because nobody can nope. go so to this island. It could be legit 15 people on the island. I mean, we're, I'm in Manhattan right now, and it's 12 miles and six miles wide, I think, is what Manhattan is. Yeah. And there's like 12 million people here. Dude, I'm telling you, get down this rabbit hole. And if you guys are interested in this Yeah, I was just about to say, you were definitely on YouTube at like 2.30 in the morning last night watching about tribes. I was on YouTube this morning at 8.30 a.m. I was just like, that's even weirder, I think, that it wasn't (laughs) at night. Like, you started off your day with with this. (laughs) I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think it's fine. Get down the rabbit hole. I'm telling you, look up North Sentinel Island. It's called one of the most deadliest islands on Earth. And it's not because of the poisonous spiders or snakes or anything. It's because of the people and the interaction there. They are uncontacted people. Literally no contact with the outside world. Think about that. They have no idea what Twitter is. They have no idea what COVID is. Yeah, wow. Right? I wonder if weirdly any of them got sick and um passed away and had no idea that it was from covid or imagine showing those people an iphone but they wouldn't have had any interaction with covid true why yeah how could they yeah why they are literally the simplest form of human being and now we get into something a lot more (laughs) complex and economic and financially centered i'm really excited for this conversation with michael schwimmer this is going to be awesome and i'm so i'm happy 
I want to ask him about the baseball stuff because he was also a pitcher in the Phillies organization. He had a really successful career in the minors before making it to the majors before an injury kind of limited him at age 27. So I'm very interested to ask him about a little bit about his playing career because I feel like when he comes on podcasts, all he's asked about is BLA. So I want to, you know, ask a couple questions about maybe who the best player he's ever faced, stuff like that, while then also getting into the big league advanced conversation. I'm just excited to kind of wrap this thing up because it is such an interesting story. And as I say, wrap it up. I don't know if we'll ever really wrap it up because <laughs> yeah. I, I, we want to keep hearing about this throughout the season and going into next because this is either going to be a huge liftoff or we might see the company go to shits. We don't know. We have no idea, but it's a fascinating concept and it's taking over the contractual world and the minor league world right now. Here he is, Michael Schwimmer. We're really excited, and it kind of feels like it's been a long time coming, but Michael Schwimmer is the founder and CEO of Big League Advance. We've been talking about the concept that you and your guys do, Michael, pretty much the, for the entirety of this podcast, and now we finally get to hear it from you. So thank you so much for taking the time, man. Well, thank you for doing what you do and being interested. I appreciate that. I love just baseball people. Perfect. That's that, And that's what we do. And before we kind of break into the conversation on BLA, you played a couple seasons in the bigs with the Phillies and had a really nice minor league career as well. And this is kind of more of a curious fanboy baseball question. Who's the best player you've played with and against? Well, first of all, I love how you phrased that question for the audience. Basically, you're just trying to say I was a shitty major leaguer, but <laughs> did really well in the minor league, which is accurate. Very fair and accurate. Uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, it was definitely a wild ride. Best player I played against. Well, the hardest guy for me to figure out in terms of pitching, like I, I pitch differently than everybody, than a lot of other players. Like I, I built these algorithms and models for these pitch sequencings to try to figure out how to get hitters out. And there was a lot of hitters that were a lot very obvious. Like at the time, this was early in his career, but like Bryce Harper, for example, was a you know, pretty easy way to, if you could execute the right pitches, you could get him out. He, this is when he just came up. He's obviously a much more mature and much better hitter now. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but then there was a guy that always out chess matched me, which was Chipper. Um, Chipper Jones was a good one. Yeah. You know, he, he was, you know, I, I would get three, two thinking this is the right pitch and he'd hit me to a warning track should be home run. Like it was like how, like ex- when I was able to execute my pitch and did what I want, and I still got barreled. That's like consistently, that's the hitters I always had the most respect for. And you played a couple seasons for the Phillies too. Maybe by your accounts, not that good of a seasons, but you really did have a good <laughs> ERA in the minors. And at least, you know, not a lot of people could say you made it to the bigs. So what about maybe a player on the Phillies or even in the minor leagues that really stood out to you that you got to play with? Oh, there's a lot. There's so many good players. You know, when I was with the Phillies, it was, you know, 11 and 12. So it was a lot of those guys, you know, Chase Utley, yeah. Roy Halladay, Cliff Lee, Brad Lidge, like sort of towards, you know, still excellent players, obviously, yeah. but towards towards the back end of their career. Um, you know, Chase Utley is, is professional of a hitter uh, that, that I've played played with. Um, Cliff Lee is probably my favorite pitcher. Yeah. That I've that I've got to play with just how fast he worked and how he operated. It was very um, like the almost a polar opposite of how I how I approached pitching, uh, and to see you know there's a lot more ways to skin the cat there, and it was just fun watching that man operate. Michael, so after your playing career, you hopped into Big League Advance, and the essence of Big League Advance is you guys offer minor leaguers an upfront sum in exchange for a percent share 
of their future earnings. What am I missing off of that? Uh, uh, that's a good summary, but what you're, you're missing a ton, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, but if you wanted to do it in whatever that was like 15 words or whatever, I think that's very accurate. Got you. So how did you gain inspiration for this idea? Obviously it's a lot more intricate than what we just talked about. Like I'm sure the genesis of it came to your mind during your playing days. How did you hammer down exactly what you wanted to do after your playing career was over? Well, it was during my playing career. So going in the minor leagues, seeing what that was like, getting paid, you know, less than $2 an hour, watching how teammates lived. Um, You know, I know we'll probably get into the HBO Real Sports piece later, but I think they did a fantastic job of showing how players live and, you know, the the conditions that they're in. Um, I wanted to make that – I wanted to make a change in minor league system. I actually, in 2011, as as we talked about, the Phillies were an excellent team, very veteran – oriented and they you know one of the biggest honors of my life was they nominated me to be a team rep in the union um so i was a rookie at the time and they thought enough of me to to do that i got very involved with that the licensing committee and the executive subcommittee that negotiates the collective bargaining agreement i put together this massive presentation on how to change minor league baseball um to get minor league baseball at least to minimum wage about thirty-five thousand dollars a year and a way that the owners and the players would like and it basically, and now I'm, I'm making this part very general, but if you took half of 1% of all players that made $5 million or more and it'd be completely tax-free to players and the owners matched it, you'd get there. Um, and, and you know, the players union came to me essentially and told me straight up, like, our job is to protect major leaguers. We don't care about minor leaguers, really. And the idea is that, you know, we're a union our constituents are major league players. Our job is to put more money in major league players' pockets. Your proposal takes player takes money out of major league players' pockets, so it's a non-starter, is what I was told. Um, this obviously didn't make me happy, but it was something that in my head, I'm like, all right, well, you know, one day when I'm going to be done playing, in my head, I thought it was about 10 years. From then, obviously, you always think you're going to be a great player when you're playing, um, but it was a lot quicker than that, and that's when I started Big League Advance. Very cool, and you know, obviously you were thinking about it as a major leaguer. Was there a point in your minor league career where you kind of had that minor league horror story that I know a lot of people have even now? Well, I was extremely fortunate. Um, you know, I grew up in like a middle-class family and both my parents worked for the government and I, you know, in the off season, I ref basketball games, babysat, was able to make enough money, not during non-working hours. So I was able to you know, work out and do everything I needed to do during the day. And like, again, I'd ref or do stuff at night to make sure I had some money for the season. You know, unfortunately, a lot of players aren't in that situation, the vast majority. So they're not able to train. And I'm watching these players, like these players could be so good. And they're out here working at, as Walmart greeters yeah. right? or, you know, in the off season, the things of that. Now I'm jealous. These players now they have it easy. They all drive Ubers now in the off season, which mm-hmm. is incredible. Yeah. Like I wish there was Uber around when I was there and I could, I could make a lot more money doing a lot less, but um, you know, it's, it's something where you absolutely, you, you're going to lose money during the season. So you have to figure mm-hmm. out a way to support yourselves financially. And there's players that simply couldn't, that were excellent players that had to leave baseball because they couldn't support themselves. Um, that all the way to the first round pick. So you know, players like Dominic Brown, who I played with, was a great prospect at the time, to, um, you know, even Anthony Hewitt is a first-round pick, right? Like these players, you, you can always spend – the more you spend on yourself and invest in yourself, the better you're going to become. Even if you're signed for $5 million, you can always get to the point where you're traveling with a, 
masseuse and a nutritionist and a personal trainer, you, you, there's always more you can do to improve your chances to succeed. So I thought this, uh, you know, product that we built could be something that players would enjoy the option to have. I think it's very clear to state the option to have if they want it. Um, you know, at big league advance, we have never, I have never, nobody that works for me has ever told a player they should or shouldn't do a deal. We simply provide the option, provide the information and they do whatever they think is best for them and their family. And you mentioned that the real sports piece did a really fantastic job showing the hardships that minor leaguers face on a day-to-day basis. But I'm really curious personally, how you think the feature did on BLA as a whole and do you think they actually accurately portrayed kind of you and your vision going forward? Um, I think that I don't want to take anything away from HBO Real Sports. I enjoyed working with them, but their job isn't to tell BLA accurately. <laughs> their job is to create a story that's that's that people are interested in, yeah. right? Uh, and I think they did a great job of creating a story that people are interested in. I think they did a very poor job of accurately de- describing what BLA does and and, and who it affects. Um, you know, as an example, we have hundreds of American players. They only focused on Latin American players for some reason. Um, that was their choice. You know, they, we have dozens and dozens of players that are out of baseball. They did an interview with a player that we had kid went to Louisville on air on camera, you know, thank God for big league advance. If like they saved my financial future, like, I don't know what I'd be doing now. Instead, I went back to school, got a degree. Now I have a really good job. Like, thank, like, I don't know where I'd be without big league advance. They chose not to air that. They chose not to air any stories of what happens to the vast majority of players that do deals with us. 70, 80% of players that do deals with us won't pay us back anything or very, very, very little compared to what we gave them. So the, the deals that the, the vast majority of players that this deal affects were not depicted in the, in the, uh, in the, in the picture. And I think, and it wasn't really explained to the audience, at least in my liking. Um, it seemed to me as like, Oh, here's these poor players that, are all guaranteed to make it guaranteed to make a lot of money. And they just need it now because like in three years, they'll make it. And they just need it before three years where in reality, that's not the case at all. Um, over 90% of minor league players won't play one day in the major leagues. And so if people understood the risk in the career and people were like, Oh, like that's, you know, not a lot of money to give to your mean, right. To, you know, 165,000 for 15%. That sounds like a lot. Well, Jack, if I gave you $100 for 10% of your future major league earnings, you probably do it and you probably say it's a good deal, right? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so it all matters what's relative to the person and the likelihood that they have to succeed. And they didn't go into your mean being out of baseball, an independent ball, less than a one in 10,000 chance to play one day in the major leagues at one point in his career, yeah. right? All they see is your mean now dominating. They don't understand the background. Um, now, to be, again, extremely fair to HBO, you can't tell BLA in 13 minutes, right? You, know, you can't, yeah. you, you just can't do it. So, but like I said, overall, I think they did a good job. I think Soledad was great. Um, enjoyed, enjoyed her, but you know, the angle they took was an angle that was good for the audience, not an angle that was accurate, uh, as accurate as it could be to big league advance. And maybe a, another person who doesn't necessarily understand your vision, Scott Boris, Um, big time baseball agent seems to be really one of your biggest critics, but he mentioned that he's not as concerned with the money more about the tactics you use to sign these players, but you made it clear that the agent and the lawyer and the player all have to be on the exact same page before signing the deal. So if you were to respond to Boris personally, what would you even say? 
Um, well, I can tell you what I gave Real Sports, which was emails from Boris Corp with Latin American players with Boris Corp saying, Let, I want to do deals with these players. Like, wh wh where are your offers for these players, for his guys, right? So here he is saying what he's saying about our company, yet emails asking us to offer his players, A. B, we, they, they, he said the tactics thing, you know, HBO asked me to respond. I said, I will open up all my books. If there's one player that you can name off the record even, that said anything about our tactics is unprofessional, I will give you every piece of documentation we've ever had with that player. Okay. That. And guess what Scott Boris said? I'm not going to give you any names, right? Because it doesn't exist. It's not, it's not there. But yeah. you have to understand the motivation of Scott Boris, which of course the piece didn't do, right? You have to understand the agents and how agents in baseball work. So as a player, you sign your agent one year at a time. So every year that agent has to earn your business. Guess what? If an agent's ever realistic to a player about their players, about their playing career, the player will fire that agent, <laughs> right? If Scott Boris ever said, you've got a 70% chance to, to not make it. They'd be like, screw you. You don't believe me. I'm out. Yep. Right. And now, meanwhile, what people like Scott Boris and agents think about us, oh, some of them, now some agents are really good about this and actually care about their players. Right. But the, there's also other agents that will say, look, at the end of the day, this is how they think about it. At the end of the day, they only get paid in arbitration free agency, right? So they have to maintain that player. So what they think is, let's say, let's say, let's say Scott Boris or uh, any agent thinks they their player should do a deal with us. They could never tell a player that, right? Because yep. they're looking out for themselves. Because they say, if you tell a player that, then they become. Let's say they told in your mean. I I can guarantee you, you know, not speaking for Scott Boris, but if you ask him, your mean Mercedes, an independent ball, any independent ball player, you're giving 165,000 to 15%. Scott Boris would say yes. <laughs> You should do that deal, right? Of course, but you. But then, if your mean becomes a free agent, now your mean might, according to, to other agents, might say, "I would never tell him that because if he gets to that point, now he's gonna, he may not like, you know, may not like what I had to say there, right? And now he doesn't get to cash in on that. You see, so yeah. that's the huge. You have to understand there is this is they try to make it a two way story. It is not a two way story. What we do at all, there's agents and the MLBPA, and then there's everybody else, right? Look at players. Notice in that piece, there's not one single player that has any has ever said anything negative about us in six years. Yeah. If our tactics were poor, if we weren't professional, you don't think that would be all over the place? Michael, you bring up a really good point with how major leaguers make money through arbitration and free agency, and it takes so long to get to the big payday in free agency. I just got the blast that Zach Collins, the Portland Trailblazer, is like hitting free agency now, and I feel like he was the eighth man at Gonzaga like two years ago. <laughs> so he's in free agency now, but I like thought you were giving me Zach Collins White Sox. I, I oh, got confused no. for a second there. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm giving you the uh, the tall drink of water that just sits on the bench for the Blazers. But like, <laughs> it, I mean, Major League Baseball is so different so these guys you know they get their window and they make big money they can pay that percentage back to you guys and still have a ton of money to help everybody else and I think a lot of people on first glance will like shun this idea and like maybe use the word slimy like Scott Boris included in that and I think the more that people dive in and learn about this their thinking shifts almost immediately that was my case and I'm sure that was Peter's case when you read about the Tatis deal right like that was framed in a way it's like oh, this money's being taken away. But once I understood exactly what the upfront sum did for Fernando Tatis, I realized I would have taken this deal in a heartbeat for a hundred bucks. Like you mentioned, have you ever had any player say, you know, even if they didn't do the deal, like, ah, I don't know about this. 
So the answer is no, um, to me directly. Now there was a Fran there was Francisco Mejia and there was a whole case about three years ago, um, but that was obviously extremely different than his messages to me, which again, I, I shared with HBO, didn't make the piece, you know, thank God for the financial support. Thank you. This was after he made it too. Like, I love you and your family. This is after the lawsuit, right? Um, you know, so, you know, that, that suit obviously didn't, you know, he, he thankfully um, obviously dismissed the case. There was no settlement or anything like that. And, and we, we, we settled on the legal fees. So you have to pay all our legal fees on that. Um, you know, but he is a, you know, I really like Francisco and, and there's to me directly in five years and the almost 1000 players that we've had, we've had conversations with, and we've have over 350 on our roster. Can't find one that has anything negative to say about us. And you probably won't answer this question, but I gotta ask, <laughs> we got, we're the biggest data heads in the world. And we look at the <laughs> stats all the time. I assume you're not going to answer how do you collect your data, but we're constantly on these fan graphs, baseball savant, pitcher lists. And then during the real sports piece, I saw that you guys had baseball savant pulled up. Could you at least let us know maybe some public resources that you're looking at on a daily basis that can at least help us, you know, read some well, of this data? Well, my first recommendation would be learn how to code so you can figure out how all the data actually matters. Um, but the, but the, short answer is there's no perfect stat. We don't use any numbers on any stat sheet of any savant of anything. We have to conceptualize it, right? So there every single at bat, every single pitch that is being thrown in minor league baseball, we have all these different variables surrounding it. So like, you know, you may see a guy that is has 20 home runs and, you know, OPS of 900 and looks great in pitcher friendly parks, even let's say. Right. But all 20 of those home runs come against, you know, relievers that because we remember we have rankings for every pitcher and every hitter. So yeah. all these home runs are 12 nothing games against relievers that we think all have no chance to make it. And then the other kid, Fernando Tatis, maybe only has five home runs, but all against the top five players. And maybe he's hit, you know, 100 lineouts of over 100 miles an hour right to outfielders that year. So even though he's hitting two, even though it's on base percentage, even though every saber metric and normal stat might say he's worse, he's actually a lot better for us. Um, so that's, you know, that that's now overall over the course, what I will always say, people say like over the course of the season, everything evens out. That's just simply not true over the course of many seasons. It evens out, but you can have, you can see players have a great year, then not a great year. And like, wait, what just happened to that guy? Well, you know, there's a lot of things that are involved in that. Right. Um, and what we do is we look at a player's career trajectory. We see how he got to where he got to. So we're making an offer on a 21 year old. We look at his stats at age 16 and 17, if he's a Latin American player and was signed at that point, right? Yep. Um, or you know, all the minor league stats to come up with how is he evolving as a player and how is he going to project? And that's what our model, our model does. Um, if you're looking at one thing, like weighted runs created plus is, is probably the best, but nothing, no one thing is, you know, close to what, close to accurate, I guess, as predictable as, as what we have. And people that are interested, minor league baseball, they do calculate WRC plus fan graphs is the place to go for line drive rate, walk rate, strikeout rate, WRC plus, all that stuff. BABIP, you know, for these guys in the minor leagues. And, and Michael Schwimmer, big league advance is the first mover. If you were to guess, does BLA grow exponentially from here? 
does Major League Baseball maybe intervene and finally pay their minor leaguers a non-ludicrous monthly wage or like get that salary to where you kind of pitched during your playing career? Or is it somewhere in between? I want to make this very clear. Nothing would make me happier as a professional than Major League Baseball coming in and paying these players. Absolutely nothing. That would be the biggest win of my life, of my professional life. Um, and I, and I continue to fight for that because it's, guess what? It's the right thing to do. I don't think it will affect deals from our side that much. That's what people, that's the biggest misconception. And the biggest thing that I learned from doing this is we have a higher acceptance rate of players that sign for 300,000 to $700,000, like the Tatis of the world. than we do the players that need the money that, that signed for less than a hundred thousand dollars. Yep. Less than $10,000, like a higher acceptance rate of players that have a lot more money than players that don't. Um, and so to me, it's not players aren't doing this. People think, oh, players are doing this because they're desperate need of the money. They're doing it because they want to invest in themselves and they want to make their dream is to be a baseball player. And they want to give themselves they want to invest in themselves and give themselves every chance to succeed. That's why they're doing these deals. And that's something that I don't think was articulate, the majority of them. Sure, some are you know, needed to support their family and all that stuff. Absolutely. I don't want to say that doesn't happen, but the vast majority of players are doing it because they want to invest in themselves and improve their careers. Yeah. And I want to just expand on the business a little bit, just because I find it just so fascinating. And I was surfing Twitter and I saw that on Twitter, you answered the question, why is this any different than an investor who provides seed money for a business and ends up with way more than 10%? And you responded basically saying it's the exact same thing. And I know you've touched upon it, but obviously you're dealing with human beings as opposed to an idea or a business. But where are those similarities? And then are there really any big differences? There is absolutely no difference. We're not investing in human beings. We don't own 10% of Fernando Tatis's, you know, whatever he makes in his life. It's we, We are investing in a portion of their baseball earnings. Right. So a player can leave and become a doctor. We don't get any of that. We're not in, we're not, we don't, we're not investing in a human. We are investing in their future MLB earnings. Just like if you're investing in Amazon's, you're investing in Jeff Bezos' future earnings from Amazon or book deal. You're an author, right? You're investing in the royalties of that book. This concept has been around forever, hundreds of years. Golfers used to do it all the time. Like the country club guy, I'll give you some money now. You give me some money if you make it, right? Poker players get staked all the time. This is not a new concept, right? I did the same thing. I wanted to succeed with Big League Advance. Guess what I did? I gave up a crap ton of my future earnings, and I paid my investors back then 100 times more than Tatis will ever pay us, right? I mean, this is something that is, that, that every, that is literally identical, right? I think that's a misconception. We are not investing in human beings at all. We are investing in a percentage of their future earnings in one event, one sport. And so it is, it is the exact same thing. Michael, what might we be missing that we haven't touched yet? <laughs> a lot. A lot. We don't have that a much lot. time. <laughs> What's uh, the one big thing that we haven't touched yet? About big league advance? Or oh, yeah. like the few, oh, I, I'll, I'll finish your – I think you asked about the future. Like we're going to be doing this for tennis. We're going to be doing this for golf. We're going to continue with baseball. Um, the name, image, likeness stuff, football and basketball. How awesome you know, is there's that? A, there's a lot of really things. Cool. There's a lot of things. This is just the beginning for us as a company. Um, you know, these player brand agreements or income share agreements, whatever you want to call them, 
you know, they're in, they're in schools right now, instead of doing student loans, do these deals all over. There's, there's a bipartisan bill in the house, bipartisan. Do you imagine that in this day and age? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, th- this thing is, this is the very beginning and we are the right now, the world leader in that space. And it just happens to be in baseball. So that's exciting for us. Um, the other things that we are going to be doing because of our models and our analytics, you know, working with teams, we do the analytics for Duke basketball. We're not just baseball right now. Right. So we were, you know, we worked heavily with Duke basketball hired last year, working with coach K directly, obviously John coach Sean Shire now is going to be taking over and we're helping build out a full analytical engine for that program. We've been contacted by NFL teams. We've been contacted by NBA teams. Like this is, you know, we're going to simultaneously build our income share agreement platform with our ability to re- be a monstrous resource for teams to help them uh, to help them win. And to just and to just wrap up, one thing that um, I realized that we haven't touched upon is I'm just curious, what if a competitor comes in with a better offer in the future to these guys? Like what is to stop another company from doing something like that? And would BLA be able to offer something completely different? I guess basically I- what is the differentiator? between you and kind of like a copycat. I want everybody coming into the space. The more money that can go to minor league players, the better. I mean, it, it, now four, four companies that have tried, they've all failed because they don't have the modeling capabilities, right? They don't know how to pick, they don't, they, you know, you have to understand 83% of the players we invest in are outside the top 300 prospects when we invest in them. Wow. And I define, I define 300 prospects as top 10 on each team. So it's yeah. not a perfect definition. Obviously, like a really good farm system, the 15th best is going to be better than another team's fifth. But yeah, it's a, it's a good general scope, right? So you're looking at 83% outside the top 300 prospects. By the way, you know, of our first fund of 77 players, we're expecting 51 to make it to the major leagues. Those players have about a wow. 3% chance. This is our model, about nine standard deviations away. This is the, this company, and this is a model, this is a data analytics company. And I think that was kind of missed in that real sports piece. Um, you know, it definitely was, it was said, but again, 13 minutes, is very tough to do. Right. Um, so, you know, that's a huge, these are by and large non-pro, Fran Mill Reyes was on there. I think that's a big mistake. Like they cut over me saying Fran Mill Reyes is the prototypical BNBA investment. And they went to Latin players. If they had kept going, Fran Mill Reyes is a typical BLA investment because he wasn't drafted. He wasn't picked in the rule five. He played five yeah. years and no team thought he was worth $50,000. Yeah. No team. And here Michael, we are, we gave him a big offer because of it, because our model said he was great. So that's a big thing I think that was missed. Michael, it's so unfair that you won't give us the data. I mean, come <laughs> no. on, we want to do this too. <laughs> yeah, help us. Create your own data. Create your own data, raise a fund. Let's go. Get more. You gotta learn about money. Python and all this. <laughs> yeah, that's all our stuff's in Python now. Michael, this was amazing, and this is an open invitation whenever you want Seriously. to to have something, whenever you have something that you know jumps to mind that, that you want to have a platform to speak of. We are absolutely willing to have you on again. This was fantastic, and we cannot thank you enough, man. We're just baseball well, you, guys. <laughs> just You keep doing your work. Keep doing the research on it. That's what I love. You look at it. You saw something that didn't seem right, but you dug in. You researched it. You did it the right way, and I always have a lot of respect for people that have that type of process instead of making too many people make snap judgments in this world without getting a big picture. And so I appreciate your guys and your work. And that's why we had to talk to you. Cause now I'm, I'm really feeling good about this. You know, I feel confident about BLA and I really think that you're doing something good. Um, Cause obviously when you hear the real sports piece or you hear the scuttlebutt around, you talk to MLB, they're not the biggest fans, but when you really talk to you and you understand that the message 
of you is that you really just want to protect minor leaguers and that's your big thing. And we're all for that. So we're behind you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh my God. (laughs) My, my mind is like a, a million different places right now. And they're all good places. Like that was such a fun conversation. Yeah. And I really, really enjoyed it. And because I kind of came in not really knowing what to think, right? Because you have half of Major League Baseball being against it, and then you have half for it. I'm We're believers now. But I, I really thing. like the message. And it's not even just about BLA. It's about his message that he just wants to protect minor leaguers. But he was totally right. It's not 50-50. It's Major League Baseball that was declining comment. Like every I know. Player... It felt like that, though. It right. felt like that, even though it wasn't. Because you've got the players, you think the players are one half and you think the executives and owners are the other. And in reality, like the owners, there are 30. (laughs) And it's interesting interesting that the biggest agent in the world obviously doesn't like it. I mean, isn't that interesting that Scott Boris is so, so against it? It's obviously like it's going to jump out and say like, oh, that's brutal for Fernando Tatis Jr. Guy's got $340 million. Yeah, I mean, he'll be totally fine. And <laughs> and, and really kind of where it set in to me was when Soledad was interviewing Yerman, Yerman Mercedes of the White Sox. And he said, I, re- I knew every part about this deal. Yeah. And the reason I took it is because nobody believed in me except for these guys. And you know what? I can get behind that. And the fact that the if the agent has to be on call, the lawyer has to be on call, everyone knows what the situation is. And they've really only had one mishap, and that was with Francisco Mejia. And Michael claimed that Francisco Mejia was in his messages thanking him for all the advice, and then it comes out. So we have no idea if, if that's true. I'm assuming it is, though, um, because of how, how great the interview was. I mean, I'm a believer. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, I don't think he would lie about that. I think he would. I don't think he would either. Away if there was a, yeah. if there was a bad thing, he um, wouldn't have mentioned it. No, uh, we do need to get you on the train of saying you're mean correctly, though. Not you're mean Mercedes. You're mean. Mercedes. Not, I'm, no, but I like the Yerminator. That's <laughs> okay. why I like the Yerminator. The Yerminator. Um. All right. Before we wrap up, the Yankees just shit the bed uh, on Tuesday yeah, night. Yeah, I know. They got to Otani. I was actually going to make like a follow up TikTok to your best bets TikTok that day and say, hey. Otani's going to mess up the Yankees. Obviously, he didn't. He hit the showers before the first inning was over. And then (laughs) after a delay, I mean, they coughed that thing up. That was horrible. But they just improved today. Yeah, they improved. I mean, Chapman, like, come on, dude. Now his ERA is at 3.77. Chapman, Litke came in and blew it. But regardless, the Yankees did improve. They acquired right-hander Tim LaCastro right-handed fielding outfielder uh, from the Diamondbacks for a double-A pitcher named Keegan Curtis. I mean, Tim LaCastro is one of the fastest players in baseball, and the Yankees needed that. They need somebody dynamic, but of course, it's another right-handed hitter, and we need lefties, please. But I guess, you know, they didn't give up much, and they got a speedster, guy who's probably even faster than Tyler Wade, another infielder on the Yankees. So, I guess, you know, it's good. It's, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. I, hey, I don't baby. know. I, I hate the Yankees right now. Listen, man, Tim LaCastro, an Auburn, New York native and Ithaca College alum. The former bomber is now a Bronx bomber. How Can cool. I say one more thing? Yeah. I think there's no way now that they go get Cattell Marte because why would you go get Tim LaCastro from the Dimebacks and then also go get in a different trade an outfielder in the same outfield as Tim LaCastro in the Dimebacks? So now I can, I kind of feel that Cattell Marte is out. 
and they're probably not going to go get Starling Marte anymore. I feel like they just made their outfield move. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't feel like I'm going to be wrong. Hey, takeaways from the bod. Takeaways from the pod, not the bod. Uh, not the bod. Takeaway, takeaways from the pod. Go do your reading. Go do your watching. Go do your listening about Big League Advance and Michael Schwimmer. Some very interesting stuff, and he just shared 25 minutes with it um, or on it with us. Follow Peter on Twitter at PeterApple23. Follow me on Twitter at Jack underscore McMullen11. Follow Just Baseball at Just Baseball Fans on TikTok and Instagram, Just BB Media on Twitter. We are so excited to bring you more content. Today was great. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.